This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Where we are in the sugar debate is about where the tobacco debate was in about 1960. That's a clip from Sugar Coated, one of the films screening at Toronto's Hot Docs Festival. It explores the health hazards of a sugar-laden diet and examines how the food industry has used marketing to obscure those risks. Today, we'll get the skinny on sugar from the film's director, Michelle Hoser, and weight loss guru, Dr. Yoni Friedhoff. Plus, what qualities lead us to a fulfilling life? That's the question behind David Brooks' latest book, The Road to Character. Coming up, he'll explain the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A terminally ill South African activist died of natural causes the same day that a court granted him the right to end his life. 65-year-old Robin Strawn Ford was diagnosed with terminal prostate cancer in 2013. On Thursday, the court made the landmark ruling that a doctor could help him end his life. The group now says it expects the judge's decision to set in motion the process of legalizing assisted dying in South Africa. Meanwhile, here in Canada, despite a Supreme Court decision that struck down the ban on assisted dying, The federal government has made it clear there won't be any new legislation on the matter before the next election. Apple and IBM have joined forces to help Zoomers in Japan. Together, they'll distribute as many as 5 million iPads to Japanese seniors by the year 2020. The tablets will be loaded with customized apps that will do things like remind people to take their medication and promote proper diet and exercise. They'll be given away through an initiative by the Japan Post Group to check on isolated seniors and report back to family members. Canadian Zoomer, Governor of the Bank of England Mark Carney, is being hailed for finishing the London Marathon in an amazing time. He finished the 26.2-mile course in 3 hours, 31 minutes, and 35 seconds. That's more than an hour less than the average time and put him securely in the top 25% of times. It's considered impressive for a guy who is 50. The woman who made dieting into a multi-million dollar industry has died. In 1961, Jean Niedich was a 214-pound housewife who had failed at numerous diets. After a neighbor mistook her size for a pregnancy, she attended an obesity clinic sponsored by the New York City Board of Health and reached her target weight of 142 pounds. The following year, she and two friends founded Weight Watchers International, an organization that promoted weight loss through eating systems and inspirational meetings. Today, more than 30,000 Weight Watchers meetings are held around the world. Jean Niedich was 91. 
I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. And there's just page after page of this big public relations strategy that the Sugar Association implemented in the 1970s. And it was for influencing public opinion about the health effects of sugar consumption. That's a clip from Sugar Coated, a documentary that takes a hard look at the sugar industry and the tactics it used to ensure that sugar escaped scrutiny as a leading cause of obesity, diabetes, and heart disease for over four decades. It reveals that the same debate we're having today about safe levels of sugar consumption was silenced by marketing and public relations strategies reminiscent of the tobacco industry. Filmmaker Michelle Hoser and obesity expert Dr. Yoni Friedhoff dropped by our studios. Even back in the 70s, they were looking to propose labels, tobacco-style labels on sugary goods, warning labels, and then all of a sudden this debate stopped. And through these secret documents, we realized that the, the sugar industry and the food industry had a playbook, a PR campaign during the 60s and the 70s to get us to sort of forget is sugar bad for us. And they did such a great job exonerating sugar that they actually won a PR campaign award, the Anvil Award, which is like the Oscars of the PR world, uh, to try and uh, to turn around public opinion on, uh, on sugar. And that's how good they were. Dr. Friedhoff, how toxic is sugar? Well, toxic is a loaded term. There's no question. I mean, when you consume things to excess, many things that are not unhealthy to eat become toxic to eat. You can even overdose on water if you drink too much. Uh, But what does seem to be clear is that added sugars specifically, those are the sugars that have been added to our food supply, they seem to carry real risk. And so the World Health Organization, Canada's Heart and Stroke Foundation, both suggest we should be aiming for no more than 6 to 12 teaspoons of added sugar per day. can of Coke holds about 10. Okay, part of the problem is that is there a distinction between added sugar and naturally occurring sugar like you have in fruit or sweet potatoes or something? Well, it depends if you take them out of the fruit or sweet potatoes. So certainly consuming fruit, which indeed has sugar in it, um, is not associated with those risks that we see in diets that have free sugars, where the sugars have been unbound from their natural sources. So remove the sugar from the fruit, put it in juice or concentrate it or dry it because dried fruit packs a huge amount of sugar because you can consume so much more of it, there is where we run into risk. Do you really think that it was the industry that convinced people or people just like eating sugary stuff? Well, you know, sugar is in our culture. So I wouldn't blame the industry on its own. Society has a big role to play. I mean, we look at sugar, we, you know, we give it sugar to our kids on birthdays, Valentine's Days, Halloween. It's everywhere. You know, this is a big uh, industry and they create doubt when there's scientific evidence out there and they all they have to do is bring out other scientific evidence. Then all of a sudden we push down the debate and then we don't do anything. We don't put regulations. We don't put limits. How much does the average North American consume? How much sugar per day? We're not really concerned about sugars and fruits and vegetables. We're concerned about those added and free sugars. And for the average Canadian, it's, I think, around uh, 16 teaspoons of sugar a day. And that's a lot. And when it's hidden in our foods, in our breads, in our drinks, um, in, in tomato sauce, in ketchup, then you don't, you don't really know how much sugar you're consuming a day. And that's a real problem. Well, 
how much of a problem is labeling? Because labels don't distinguish between those added sugars and those natural sugars. You got it. It's a huge problem. And again, this is a surmountable problem in the sense that we could have Health Canada come out with a robust label that would provide us with that information. And I know that they are considering it right now because I was at the table with Health Canada talking about some of these issues with them. But I will also say that from my purvey from that table and from the discussions I've had both on and off record with Health Canada, I would not hold your breath for an added sugar line on our Nutrition Facts panel with this Nutrition Panel Reform program that's going on right now. Uh, Michelle and her team have created an app that people could use. We can, you can download it now, actually. It's called One Sweet App. It's in the App Store. And that would allow a person to scan products on the shelves and get that added sugar information that, for some reason, Health Canada seems to feel it's impossible to put on those labels. It's not just sugar. There's a new book on milk and talking about how the dairy industry promoted milk as such a healthy thing when it isn't necessarily, or you can get the same nutrients from other sources. So, again, how much of a problem is um, the the food industry and the food industry's participation in the Canada Food Guide and, uh, and making the rules? Yeah, I think it's a huge problem. The fact that we've had the involvement, the direct involvement, not just testimony saying this is what we want to see in the Food Guide, but actually being involved in the creation of the guide, people whose jobs it was to protect the interests of uh, product sales it is problematic, and it's a huge conflict of interest. I would love to see uh, a purely evidence-based food guide that did not consider the food industry's interests as important. But given that here in Canada, the number one single industry contributor to our national GDP is food manufacturing and agriculture, I'm not going to hold my breath there either. So let's talk about milk for a minute. So how much milk should people really drink, and is it the magic, healthy thing that we've all been brought up to believe. So the dairy industry has done a bang-up job of convincing everybody that it is crucial to health, and it is crucial to health for kids under the age of two. Uh, But beyond that, it is neither magical, nor do I think it's harmful. I'm not scared of milk consumption, but there's no remarkable benefits to milk's consumption, at least not according to the medical evidence, that would warrant dairy being a group of its own on a food guide, or certainly not the recommendation of the food guide that says every single Canadian of every single age should consume two to three glasses of liquid milk each and every day. Where else can you get the nutrients that you get in milk? Well, so nutrients and this this discussion around nutrients, I think, is really part of the problem. If people want to have a less confusing, uh, less onerous way to navigate all the latest fads and all the food labels, it's to cook from fresh whole ingredients the vast majority of their meals. I mean, we use restaurants like our grandparents use supermarkets nowadays. It, it is crazy how we have embraced the convenience of ultra-processed foods and restaurant foods as normal. And that's where I would steer people, rather than to specific nutrients, fresh whole ingredients and lots of them goes a very long way. Okay. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Sugarcoated is currently running at the Hot Docs Film Festival. For more information, visit hotdocs.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, I'll be joined by New York Times columnist and author David Brooks to talk about the road to character. Our culture values success, wealth, and fame. But what about inner depth and moral values? In The Road to Character, David Brooks argues that we're yearning for a return to these virtues. He explores how some of the world's great thinkers pursued this path 
and how we can follow their example to find true fulfillment. I spoke with David Brooks recently when he was in Toronto. You talk a lot about the difference between the eulogy virtues and the resume virtues. What are they? Well, the resume virtues are the st- is the stuff we bring to the marketplace, uh, whether we're uh, good at our job at being a journalist or a doctor or a teacher or whatever it is you do. Uh, the eulogy virtues are the things they say about us after we're dead, whether we were courageous, honest, brave, uh, capable of having great relationships. And we all know the the eulogy virtues are more important than the resume ones. We'd want to rather we'd all rather be uh, admirable people than just be good at a job. And yet, if you're like me, you've spent a lot of your time thinking about the resume virtues more than the eulogy virtues. And maybe a lot of us are a little more clear on how to have a career success than to have a, a really rich inner life. And so this book was really about how do you do the second thing, uh, just to fill in a need. Well, people say they believe that those eulogy virtues are more important, but in practice, I'm not sure they really do. They want to be successful. They want to be famous often. Uh, They want to have a a good time. There's nothing wrong with having a good time. There's certainly nothing wrong with having a successful life. But I think you find, I mean, I've certainly found in my own life, I um, I would occasionally meet somebody once a month or so who just radiated this immense inner light. Uh, I, w- I was visiting some people who teach immigrants how to read. There were about 30 women in a room, age 50 to 70, and you just walk in and there was a calmness, a patience, a care, a softness and a steadiness to their voices. They made you feel important. And I think we all know people in our lives who just seem to radiate a sort of joy. And I remember thinking, you know, I've achieved more than I thought I would in my career, but I don't have that. And so the book is really about people who, whose lives. Uh, started out, they were kind of messy, not not that impressive. But over the course of their lives, they built themselves into something magnificent and really experienced an inner tranquility and joy and even a holiness that's better than just uh, having a good time and having a good career. Part of what the book is is to give a vocabulary, just the words you use to think about yourself. Part of it is just to give heroes, just a list of people like Dorothy Day or Francis Perkins or Dwight Eisenhower or George Eliot or Samuel Johnson, who just were amazing uh, internally, and just so people can see how it's done. There was a time when education uh, emphasized those kinds of character virtues. Uh, How did we get to a point where you really don't find it in the public sphere anymore? Yeah, there was a, you know, one of my characters, Frances Perkins, went to a school called Mount Holyoke, and uh, she was really bad at chemistry, so they made her major in chemistry because they told her, well, if you can uh, be good at the thing you're worst at, you'll be able to handle anything life throws at you. And what Holyoke did was they, they left a mark on students. They gave, they gave them a sense of heroic mission in life. The slogan was, go where no one wants to go, do what no one wants to do. And so they sent young women in the 19th, early 20th century to Tibet, to Pakistan, to, uh, throughout Africa, to really do service. And it, it, they really were morally heroic individuals. One of the characters, Dwight Eisenhower, he had a horrible temper problem. And so he fought against his temper to try to uh, not be angry all the time, and he eventually built himself into a very cheerful person. But that that took some effort, and it took some work, and took good habits, and even cheap little things. He would hate people, and he'd write their names down on a piece of paper and rip the piece of paper up and throw them into the garbage as a way to purge his anger. But so even dumb little tricks like that were his way of trying to combat himself, be better than himself, and be strong in his weakest places. And so how do you advise people to do that? There are some simple things that can be done, uh, in which a lot of the characters in my book did. They sat down and they kept the journal, you know, what's my central sin? Is it that I'm needy? Is it that I'm shallow? Is it that I've got a temper? Is it that I'm egotistical? How does that sin lead to behaviors that I don't like? And then there are certain activities that I think 
uh, really deep in character, um, a calling, having a, vo- a vocation. So your job isn't just a job, but there's something in your life that you feel called to do, that you're summoned by the world to do, and that, that uh, fulfills you, a, a job that probably can't be competed in a single lifetime. And so there's a whole list of activities you can do, uh, but mostly it's just stepping outside the culture of competition, of narcissism, and being radically honest with yourself. Uh, you use the word sin. I don't think most people these days would use that word. Yeah, now we use that word in conjunction to fattening desserts. Uh, and I understand why we moved away from the word sin, because it seems like so judgmental and it seems so dark, we're depraved. But I like the word sin. I, I like it better than a word like weakness, because it reminds us that life's sort of a moral occasion. It's not just effectiveness. Also, it's communal. A weakness is something you have individually, but a sin is something we all have together. Do you think that there's a, right now is a moment where people are uh, ready to hear this and, and ready to embark on this path? I think so. Just judging from um, the response so far, uh, my book is, seems to be uh, finding a nice audience. It's selling much better than anything else I've ever written. Aha, uh-huh, that's uh, a resume virtue. Yeah, well, it's, it's both because uh, it means that there's some hunger for this. Um, and so it's both. I, I hope to make, you know, I get money. There's no doubt about it when people buy my book. But I also hope to reach an audience. And where are you at on your own moral bucket list? Uh, I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah, writing a book doesn't make you a good person. Um, and reading a book doesn't make you a good person. You've got to live it out. But hopefully it gets, gives you a chance to think about it. It gives you some examples. And it gives you a little bit of a roadmap. Okay. David Brooks, thanks very much. Thank you. The Road to Character is published by Penguin Random House Canada. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, we'll remember singer Benny King and his iconic song. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Academy Award-nominated Anne Hathaway stars in Grounded. It's about a fighter pilot reassigned to flying drones. Grounded is at the Public Theater. Items from the late Shirley Temple's 1930s film career are on display as part of a traveling exhibition. You can see them right now in Rochester, New York. The memorabilia of costumes, toys, photos, and autographs goes up for auction in July. To London, England, where the Tony-winning Carole King musical Beautiful is on stage. It's the story of Carole King's journey from schoolgirl to superstar. Beautiful is at the Aldwych Theatre. And in Barcelona, one of the most singular writers in contemporary Argentinian literature is celebrated at the Proletarian Chamber Theatre. Osvaldo Lamborghini was also an artist. A selection of his artwork is on display, never before having been shown to the public. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, we said goodbye to Benny King, the voice behind the famous song, Stand By Me. He was born Benjamin Earl Nelson in North Carolina and moved to New York City as a young boy. In 1958, he joined the doo-wop group named The Five Crowns, and a short time later, the members of The Five Crowns were recruited to replace the original lineup of another popular doo-wop group at the time, The Drifters. With the Drifters, Benny King co-wrote and sang hits like There Goes My Baby, Save the Last Dance for Me, and This Magic Moment. 
but it is the iconic song from his later solo career that Benny King will always be remembered for. It was at the top of the charts twice, once when it was first released in 1961 and again when it shared the name of a famous film in 1986. Here is Stand By Me. When the night has come and the land is dark. That was Benny King with Stand By Me. King passed away earlier this week. He was 76. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer Moses Nimer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director John Vandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.